Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for for having me. This is a great opportunity. Great. Well, let's get started. So, Elizabeth, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, happy to share. So, my background's in computer science from Stanford University. Over the past decade, really the theme across my career has been building technology products for mission-driven companies. Early on, I worked as a product manager and a product leader at LinkedIn, spent some time in venture capital, and then over the past five years, I moved into digital health. Um, I think there's so many important problems sitting at the intersection of healthcare and technology. So I led product teams at ZocDoc and most recently at the Maven Clinic, which is a virtual clinic for maternal health. And um, in October of 2020, I launched NeuroHealth a new seed stage company with a mission to improve access and quality of care for neurological disease. Really excited to share more about what we're building and uh, really parlaying a lot of my skill set I've built in product and tech leadership, as well as some of my interests in improving access to high quality healthcare for patients with neurological and pain conditions. That is amazing. I'm so excited to talk to you more about all the things that you're doing because technology is starting to play such a big part in healthcare. And I'd love to hear what you're seeing, you know, where where they connect and um, what we can do to make it even better. So um, can you share with our listeners more about the app that you created to bridge the gaps in access and quality for neurological care? Yeah, happy to share. And you know, technology, I think, is desperately needed to help um, disrupt so many problems that we have in healthcare. So when incubating Neura, I noticed there were two key problems within the neurological care domain uh, specifically. So these two problem areas, the first I think of is kind of access, and the second is quality. So I'll start just briefly talking about access. So mm-hmm. access within neurology Um, What it looks like in terms of wait times across the country, on average, people are waiting over 35 days to see a neurologist. However, so many of these people have, you know, specific conditions like chronic migraine, chronic headache, multiple sclerosis, so they need to see a specific subtype. And so there, what that manifests in is people waiting, in some cases, six months or waiting years to get an appointment with the right type of specialist. Yeah, so... I was really shocked by this. I actually experienced this firsthand. Um, I have what's called a peripheral neuropathy. And even in New York City, where I'm based, I had to wait over six months to get in the door with the right type of specialist. So that kind of got me interested in what does this problem look like nationally? What does it look like in you know, rural areas? What does it look like in medical desert? 
And uh, it was definitely a theme that across all many different type of neurological conditions, zip codes and areas, uh, so many patients were complaining to me about how long it would take to get their appointments. And then, you know, once they got the appointments, there was so much pressure to um, ask all the questions they wanted to ask and share all their information. So that brings me to the second issue I saw, which was quality of care. Um, so when I looked inside of these appointments and talked to hundreds of providers, what I learned was the first 20, 30 minutes of the appointments, you know, very redundant, a lot of the same intake questions over and over. And so much of the data that's being you know, asked about um, in those appointments, let's take chronic headache, for example, is, you know, questions of tell me about your headaches, what makes them worse, what makes them better? Um, how often are you getting triggered by, you know, certain certain uh, variables like processed foods? And so much of that information is it's hard for a patient to really kind of like remember and accurately summarize what's been going on over the past six months or year or in some case decade. So the insight there was it's much more efficient if we can asynchronously collect this information. And, you know, guess what? We have so many people have mobile phones. We carry them around with us everywhere we go. And so there's this massive opportunity to take uh, symptom trackers, which today they just aren't talking to our doctors. Our doctors are not equipped to read our symptom tracker data. And uh, if we're able to train doctors to read that data ahead of an appointment, the appointment itself is so much more efficient, so much more accurate. The patient has a much better experience. They're able to kind of get right into the meat of their treatment. And they feel like, you know, someone's really following their care and their day-to-day -day experience in a much, much more personalized way. Um, so that's really what the NeuroHealth app was, was built to, to do. It has an integrated tracker specific to a given neurological condition, offers same or next day video visits with a board certified neurologist, personalized content, and really gives patients this 24-7 access to message and chat with their dedicated care team, which always has a pretty a board certified neurologist, care coach, and a dedicated care concierge, which allows them to work with that concierge on all the administrative headaches around insurance questions and billing questions and scheduling the referrals. So, you know, we think of that as offloading the headache of dealing with chronic headache itself mm -hmm. um, in terms of just the headache of dealing with all the administrative burden that exists in our healthcare system. Wow, that is so amazing. I'm learning so much. Um, so you mentioned access and it takes, you know, if, if you're looking for a specialist in a specific area, it could take up to six months. Why do you think that is? Is there a shortage of the neurologist? Is it this, uh, the quality of the, you know, pre-work uh, taking a lot of time. So in, if you eliminated that, could you speed up that, that appointment process? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's a great question. It's really both of those pieces. So there's mm -hmm. a definite shortage. There's only 17,000 neurologists in the whole country, and they would each have to see 10 times the number of patients they currently see annually in order to meet all the patient demand. Um, so, you know, in the current state, there's such a shortage, and that's really what's, you know, a big contributor to the wait time. Uh -huh. But the second piece is, yes, what you, exactly what you said, that uh, we don't have any technology or process to speed up these appointments. 
And that's really where I think technology can make a disruptive impact. We think a lot about, you know, how can we leverage technology and products to make these specialists more efficient so mm-hmm. that we can do more with their time and empower them to see more patients in a more effective way. That's amazing. Um, what a great product with the app to give them 24-7 access and you know, also professionals at their beck and call as they need it. So amazing. You, you really um, have come up with something that's just um, really innovative. Great, great job. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I have a wonderful team I work with of technologists and, and doctors who built the app uh, with me. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. Let's talk about leadership in tech. What do you think it takes to be a great leader And what are some challenges you've overcome in your career that we can learn from? Yeah, so I think there's so much that goes into being a wonderful leader. I'll highlight three top qualities that have really stood out to me in terms of what I prioritize in my leadership. So first and foremost, I think a great leader is really articulate and clear with team members around what is the mission and vision that everyone is working towards ensuring that everyone is really clear on what that is and what role they're playing in terms of working towards that. And I think the second aspect within that is making sure folks are really motivated and inspired by that mission and vision, really just getting people excited to do their day-to-day work in support of that mission. Secondly, I think compassion is such an important quality really being able to understand and walk in teammates and employees' shoes, understanding their perspectives, their points of view. I learned this early on in my career at LinkedIn, um, working under the organization of Jeff Weiner, our former CEO and now chairman. Um, He's wrote extensively on compassion. And I always admired uh, the thoughtfulness of of those posts and those teachings that he would speak of in some of our company all hands around the importance of compassion for the team members, as well as the end users of of the website and product. And I think a big part, the big part of why it's so important is when people feel that they're understood, that their voices are heard, Uh, that really motivates and it makes a night and day difference in terms of how people feel in working towards their organization and working for their organization. And lastly, being results oriented as a leader is critical. I've always used Intel's famous OKR system. It stands for objectives and key results to set annual goals and quarterly goals And what I love about that system is it forces teams and organizations to set measurable metrics 
that allow teams to have transparency into each other's goals, make sure there's no duplication of efforts, and make sure that the team is really scaling such that every group is playing their part that's combining to make a massive impact in terms of the organization's top level goals. Um, so those were um, a lot of the philosophies and traits that you know I have both admired in leaders that I've worked for and that I now enact in my own leadership. So the second part of the question uh, was about challenge. I think this day and age, work-life balance is a massive challenge, both for leaders themselves and for their own employees. And there's this big challenge at play for working uh, fam members of families, parents, caregivers, who are balancing uh, work with uh, demanding home lives. And that goes back to compassion. I've had many challenges with you know, employees that everyone has things come up. Sometimes it might be a medical leave. Sometimes it might be a difficult family situation. And I've had situations where a team is depending on an employee for their contribution to a project with a deadline that's coming up. And these are the situations where it's really important to have a plan B and a plan C and make sure that there's um, really backups in the organization such that challenges are able to be withered. And the second challenge I wanted to highlight is uh, the way that leadership changes and shifts can impact an entire organization. So during my time at LinkedIn, I was working on a massive project and um, the leadership on the team I was working on changed. The VP uh, was moved over to another team and suddenly priority shifted and our project was about to be put on pause. And our new leader had new priorities, but our entire team, it was a massive group of engineers, designers, product managers. We had been working our tails off for quarters and quarters and it was really difficult for me emotionally and with my team to, to now deal with the reality that our project may be deprioritized and all our work may be for nothing. And so the way that I dealt with this challenge was I first really internalized, you know, why was this project so important? Was this really a sunk cost fallacy that we had put so much effort into the project and we just, you know, that, in and of itself was why we were holding on to it? Or did I genuinely feel that this was gonna be a big needle mover for the business? And so I took a lot of time to reflect on it and I decided it was really a needle moving project. And mm -hmm. so it took me a lot of time, but you know, I spent um, a significant amount of effort and time really bringing leadership over to see my point of view, to articulate and uh, share the data, share the learnings for why we believed this project was really important to stay the course and complete. And that challenge, it taught me a ton about, you know, the importance of repetition, of clear communication, and of leveraging data to bring people along and um, change perspectives for, you know, important stakeholders. And I think that's that's another really important aspect of leadership, of being able to change people's opinions and bring them along, not necessarily just with might and argumentation, but with, with data and with clear storytelling. 
That is great. Great, great answers. I love your leadership um, answers. And really, it's so true that leaders need to be able to inspire their teams because, you know, managers can manage and, and do that taskmaster, but a leader is the one that inspires, motivates, brings you on the journey to align you to the same vision and mission, like you said. And I love that you said compassion because I think the pandemic has taught us uh, more empathy, more more compassion for others, and to kind of see how work and home kind of intertwine sometimes. And there's no like hard set, you know, five o'clock or, you know, everything is kind of happening at the same time. So compassion is really important. And then OKRs, I was so excited that you said that because we do that in our organization and, and it's really kept us on track. It keeps us focused as to here's the things we need to accomplish and the entire company is aligned by seeing everybody's OKRs. So it's really kind of cool. And then your challenges and how you overcame them were just spot on because I just love that, you know, you reflected, you understood what it was, and then you took action, which is really being results oriented. So thank you for that. That was great. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I'm glad to see we we share some some of these philosophies. Yes, yeah. And now I know you're so passionate about leading with empathy, and I am too. Um, so share with us some ways you can lead with empathy and how does this work in the healthcare industry? Yeah, so I think in order to lead with empathy, one really has to put processes and tools into place to understand employees and teammates' perspectives. And sometimes it's really easy to assume just through osmosis, through interacting with people, that you kind of get a pulse on how they're feeling and how they're doing. But, you know, some people are hard to read and it's really important to challenge your assumptions, challenge your biases. So actually being proactive to put processes and tools in place to measure and get feedback from your team, whether it's surveys sent out on a regular cadence, hosting retrospectives with teams has been really powerful. I've hosted these at the team level in terms of group of engineers, product manager, designer, every two weeks, getting together in a room, retrospecting what went wrong and what could have been improved and what are the process changes that the team can put into place to really get better. And I've also done them at the department level and the organizational level. I think they're a beautiful tool that encourages teammates to be part of team-wide improvements. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, one-on-ones, you know, that's always been a given for me for feedback between a manager and a teammate, as well as a skip level. Um, but I think not just having the one-on-ones, the regular check-ins, but really using those for feedback rather than, you know, status updates or, you know, just kind of catching up, really saying this is a safe space for for me as a manager, me as a leader to hear what is blocking you, what is preventing you from, you know, really having success and having that listening ear, I think, and understanding you know, where people are coming from, what is their situation and just listening, I think is super important. Um, in healthcare, it's, it's critical. I think it's a really interesting way that you ask this both, you know, within an organization, but that cultural value 
how does a health tech a company, for example, sort of mirror that value into their patient mm -hmm. um, care, right? And so for us, it's it's a lot of the same solution around designing the processes and the products to collect patient feedback regularly to collect patient metrics. So for us in our product, every time there's an appointment, we reach out and ask the patient right after in our product, you know, how was the appointment? What was the doctor experience? <clears throat> what was the care coach experience? Um, in addition, on a more kind of macro level, we collect the net promoter score. It's a very common mm -hmm. metric to you know understand our friends and family, or is this user likely to recommend this product to mm -hmm. friends and family? And so that I think is a really great pulse on our patients getting value out of this. Is it something that they are so happy about that they actually want to share with their friends and family? Um, and so those are the methods that we use to really understand our patients satisfied. Is this a step function or multiple step functions better than what they're experiencing in the traditional healthcare system? And so those are, you know, some of the processes we use to, um, to kind of processize uh, empathy. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Now, um, when you get feedback, do you act on it or how, how does that work within your organization? Yeah, so we definitely act on feedback. Um, I will say we act on it in a measured manner because, you know, we are a startup, we're balancing so many priorities. Mm -hmm. So every piece of feedback, you know, is valued, but also quantified, right? So mm -hmm. we often wonder when we hear feedback, is this a theme? You know, is this something we're hearing over and over versus, you know, is this a one-off? Because, mm -hmm. you know, in a perfect world, we could, we would have perfect resources and we'd be able to build every feature on the, under the sun, but we really have to prioritize and think about how do we strategically order and prioritize our engineering efforts in a way that maximizes our, um, our users' uh, requests and impact. And so we take all the feedback into account and then we, we quantify it. And then once it's quantified and prioritized, um, that's really how we, we uh, include it and incorporate it into our product roadmap. Yeah, no, that's great because, you know, I, I always believe that feedback is very valuable, but again, you have to have a process to, to see, is this a trend? Is this something that, we really need to fix or is it a one-off where somebody just you know didn't have a good experience or something happened uh that was a unique case and then you handle that differently so yeah really good really good answer to that so today tech is driving business so how do we leverage tech to build a better patient experience because i know that you're in tech and you're building apps and all of that but you and me are also patients. So when we go in, how do we make sure that we are getting that wow experience, you know, and what can we do to use tech also to make providers more efficient? Because you don't want to go in and wait in the waiting room for 30 minutes because everybody's time is so precious today. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think there's so many different ways um, tech can be leveraged and is starting to disrupt different parts of the end-to-end -end patient experience. So I'll focus on mobile apps um, in that it's it's a product that we have in our pockets that is really under leveraged. Uh, mobile apps present 
an opportunity to give patients more continuous care mm-hmm. rather than, you know, waiting just for that, that visit and having to, like we were talking about earlier, just compress all the questions into this kind of rushed visit where the doctor's staring at their computer screen in their mm-hmm. health record. Um, these mobile apps and the way they're being designed is such that, you know, patients now can text with their care team instead of having to wait month and month for their next visit. So the moment they have their health question, they're able to write it into their care team. And so just that continuous access to clinicians, I think is, is a big piece of innovation for patients. On yeah, top of I that, think in the, in the past, uh, doctors or healthcare providers were not as accessible as they are today because of technology, correct? 100%. And um, patient portals, which are, you know, the traditional systems that hospital use, they have rolled out some messaging capabilities where you can submit a request to a doctor as a patient. But still, you know, the response times there, I personally have seen can be anywhere from three days to weeks to just not hearing back. Um, We're still by far and large in a fee-for-service system, which means that, you know, doctors are getting paid by appointment. And so there isn't that great incentive for doctors to be really responsive and write long, detailed responses by messaging. And I think that's really where this wave of digital health startups that are coming up with new models, you know, membership models um, to help patients um, find this new modality of, you know, texting, audio calls, and allowing providers to engage with patients in these new ways, super powerful. And then the other piece is the data collection, the trackers, right? So there's so many interesting biometrics, data points we collect for ourselves as consumers, you know, step trackers, calorie counters, Um, you know, glucose monitors. And I think we're just at the beginning of this revolution where so much of these data points are being connected now into the the care provider and can actually be leveraged to make healthcare decisions. So, you know, by bringing this data to the table, it's much easier on the patient, you know, they don't need to kind of regurgitate um, all their metrics kind of seamless, it's done continuously, and it's done asynchronously. So the patient shows up to their appointment, and instantly they can just start talking about, you know, treatment without having to go through like that same old, you know, intake history of present illness. So Mm -hmm. these are just, you know, two examples of, I think, many ways in which tech can, um, can really help improve healthcare. Those are great. So, you know, the pandemic accelerated telehealth adoption. I mean, I myself um, needed uh, a prescription and the only way I could get it was to just, you know, uh, FaceTime the doctor, for lack of a better word, it was probably a different platform. Um, But do you think this will stay and how does it affect the the provider's business today? Yeah, so, Looking at the industry trends, I think the volume of telehealth visits will not be exactly as they were at the peak of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do think the percent of visits on telehealth, that will stay significantly higher Mm -hmm. than we were pre-pandemic. And then another trend- becoming a trend? Like, you know, will more healthcare providers start to do more telehealth versus seeing patients uh, in person? 100%. 
And I think mm -hmm. a lot of that is because patients and providers by necessity during the pandemic, they had their first, a lot of these stakeholders had their first taste of telehealth during the pandemic. And I know this because we interviewed so many patients who were doubtful of telehealth prior to the pandemic. They, we were digging into why, you know, it, it, even when there's not any physical, you know, need to be mm -hmm. co-located, a lot of our patients we spoke to and, you know, some elderly patients, but also younger patients, sometimes they would just say, you know, I just want to see my doctor in person. That's just my preference. I can't explain why it just feels more personal. Um, but once they had telehealth, their perspectives were changed because they saw the convenience, they saw the speed, you know, typically the, the long experience of sitting in a waiting room, it, it's not there as much with telehealth. Um, you know, doctors are showing up to their visits uh, without uh, significant delays. And of mm -hmm. course, the transport barriers um, are taken out of the equation. So I do think uh, patient and provider both um, experience the benefits of telehealth. It's, fun, it's been one of the great silver, silver linings of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the other interesting trend is not just seeing a existing doctor who you already met in person on telehealth, but actually forming new patient provider relationships mm -hmm. online, right? Meeting a new doctor for the first time on telehealth, that's been a completely new trend that the pandemic has has really skyrocketed. So I'm very excited about this. It, it presents a lot of opportunity for digital health innovators because early stage companies, they don't always have the funding and the wherewithal to manage a brick and mortar, you know, building up a physical clinic. And so it, it's much faster for these companies to, you know, build a virtual only solution or at least a virtual first solution. Um, so and yeah, it's been a very positive trend. I think that's great. I, I, you know, and we've been in our world, we do virtual training and we've done it for a long time. In fact, during the pandemic, we hired a few people and I had never met them, but based on, you know, teams and being able to see them on camera and talk to them on a daily basis, I felt like I knew them for years. And then at one point, I think it was late last year, we actually got together and I would never have felt that I've never met these people. So it really does work. A hundred percent. And we hear that a lot where people are surprised, right? Going into it, not so sure. But after having met the doctor through telehealth, it's it's a real relationship, you know, despite the fact that mm -hmm. it's on, on video. So mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful. No, that's great. So here's a fun question. I love to travel. And so what is your most favorite place that you've traveled to and why? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to say I actually just got married a few, in August of last oh, year. Congratulations. I, oh, thank you. And I went to the Maldives for my honeymoon. Um, it's I'm so jealous. South, <laughs> south of Sri Lanka. It's beautiful. Um, I just, you know, never saw such clear water, like beautiful coral reefs and incredible like biodiversity of fish. Um, it was truly like finding Nemo in real life. <laughs> like the oh my gosh. Yeah, I've seen so. pictures and it's absolutely gorgeous and it's on my list. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unreal and I highly just highly recommend it. 
Yay, good. I might have to pick your brain on that when, <laughs> when I do plan to go one day. <laughs> Happy to share, yeah. Oh, that's great. So in closing, what, what advice would you give to a woman that's considering a career in tech? Yeah, I think it's really follow your passions, you know, find the causes you care about and problems that you're deeply motivated to solve. And I think that tech just brings so much efficiency and process automation. And, um, you know, it's been said many times that tech is eating the world. And I think it is um, mm -hmm. and in some ways, you know, positive and in some ways negative. And so I think just really focusing on all of the ways that tech can positively impact our lives. I, it really motivates, um, I think, me and my teammates that we have an important mission. And in my opinion, the technology is, it's the sort of how we get there. It's not really the why. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I personally find that really motivating. And a lot of times I have, you know, mentees and different folks in my network um, coming to me and trying to brainstorm, what do I do next? You know, whether they're in tech or trying to break into tech, because tech is so broad right now, there's so many, you know, there's fintech, there's health tech, there's, um, and then within technology, there's so many different functions of engineering, product, design, user research. So uh, I think it's important to find a cause that is motivating and also within those different functional areas, what is, what is the passion, right? Is it passion for designing beautiful interfaces? Is it, you know, that passion for user research or really deeply understanding people's needs and interfacing directly with the end user? Um, so I, I do think it's important. And um, the other aspect is the community, right? Investing in connecting with other women in tech, whether it's mentors, mentees. Uh, when I, I started my career in tech as uh, in computer science at Stanford, and it was back in 2010, there were very few women in my graduating class. Uh, thankfully, today I, I read recently that it's it's the gender proportions there are significantly better. There's Ooh, a good. huge amount of women, so I'm really really happy about that. But of course, you know when you look at the statistics for female founders, female investors, there's there's still a lot of room to improve. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And um, I think it's it's been really important, even when there were few women, to connect with those who were who were in the program to find people who you can really connect with as friends to go through all the coding assignments with because it, it can mm -hmm. be really hard and grueling and you know having um, having peers that you can uh, collaborate with and learn from is is really important so I think you know thankfully there's so much support there's um, Facebook groups for women in tech there's virtual series communities so I think just um, embedding yourself in communities um, finding those role models is is really helpful. Great advice. Great advice. Elizabeth, this has been such a pleasure. I just love talking to you. You've done some amazing things in changing the world and making a difference, which is so impressive. Um, so in closing, if you can share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, thanks so much, Jennifer. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. So um, listeners, um, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I'm Elizabeth Burstein, or you can also follow or direct message me on Instagram. Um, it's at Liz Burstein, L-I-Z-B-U-R-S-T-E-I-N. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. It was a true pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. 
please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.